try to struggle my way out of that aisle. Should have sat on the should have sat on the aisle. Pastor Hernan, thank you. Thank you, church family. Uh, is it okay if I stand down here? I just always feel like I'm in the crow's nest when I'm up there. And uh, but what a joy to be back at Southland. We sure do love what, what God's doing here at this church. And let me tell you the thing I like. I like coming back and not recognizing some people. Uh, that, that has nothing to do with you growing. That has to me be that everything to do with me forgetting things. But uh, no, no, uh, I, I have seen some new faces, and I know that uh, some people are joining, and you have a, a real desire to see people saved, and that's a blessing. And we're going to have a great week uh, at, uh, at TNS this week. How many of you will be a part of the uh, TNS services in some way, shape, or form? Would you just show me your hand? Okay, good, a number of you. And, of course, next Sunday, uh, with the two churches combining for service. Now, listen, I know that we're Baptist, okay? I know that. I know that Baptists never change anything, right? But uh, come on out and be part of the services. I know it's a little bit of a sacrifice. It's a little bit of a struggle, maybe, uh, driving a little bit farther than you normally do. Uh, but you will be so blessed uh, to be a part of, of the services next Sunday. Now, I know that God's going to meet with us in a special way. So would you come and just be a part of the services? Uh, it starts at 10.30. Get, that gives you a little extra sleep in time or a little extra travel time. And then go ahead and plan to stay. We're going to eat lunch together and then have uh, an afternoon time of, just as Pastor said, just a time to reflect upon what we believe by faith God's going to do this week. And we believe that to be true. We've got, uh, I forget how many are already registered from other states that are joining us for TNS. So this is growing every single year. And uh, over time, I think over time, by God's grace, I believe what's going to happen is we're going to look back at some of these early meetings. And we're going to see pastors and missionaries and faithful church planters that are going to come out of this conference. And they're going to look back and say, I remember that TNS back in 2019. Those folks from Southland, those folks from Faith, got together and labored and helped and, and to put on that conference, and that's where I was called to preach. Well, that's where I got my heart right with God. And that's what it's all about. Honestly, it's going to be a, lot, it's going to be a hard week, a lot of uh, busyness and, and a few hours sleep, but I promise you, uh, uh, we, let's not be weary and, well, and well-doing. Let's, I promise you it's going to be a great week together. And so some of you are still on the edge. Am I going to go or not? Should I take that extra day off work or not? And let me just encourage you uh, to, to jump all in. And let's make this a great week for the Lord. I know that you will. If you can't be here, uh, you just, just can't. You're, you're working and just can't make it. Would you be in prayer with us uh, that God would do a mighty work? Uh, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. So we want to make sure that we are uh, asking God to do all the things that only he can do, and then living by faith and doing the things that he expects for us to do so that it's a great, a great conference together. So I know that you'll be in prayer. It's good to have my wife Wanda with me, and uh, my daughter Hannah is at Faith tonight, and she brought a friend from the States, a girl by the name of Virginia. So I want, I want you to get to know Virginia. She's one of our Christian school teachers at our school back in uh, Virginia. And then my son, uh, yeah, Virginia is from Virginia. That's true. True story, okay? Uh, and then uh, my son, Caleb, is here, and his wife, uh, Cassie. He's my youngest son, and so it's their first time in country. So 
try to make them feel at home if you would as well. But uh, Caleb and Cassie is her name. They're here as well. And so we're just excited about uh, what God's going to do in our own family and then through, our, uh, through the conference this week. I want you to open your Bible tonight to the book of Luke. We're going to look at a well-known passage of Scripture tonight. And anytime you open your Bible and look at a well-known passage of Scripture, you kind of, in your mind, zone out. It's like if I said tonight, turn in your Bibles to John 3, 16, uh, even though we love the verse, even though we can quote the verse, I think some people would probably zone out. Hey, I know the verse. You know, Pastor Skelly, what are you going to tell me about this verse that I, I don't already know? Well, first of all, even if I didn't tell you something you don't already know, it's still, it's still good to read John 3.16 every now and then and have a, 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 a message on it. And so uh, sometimes a message is good just to go around the block, right, and see what we already have. But I think if you'll listen tonight, I think you'll, you'll see some things about this story in Luke chapter 10 that perhaps you'd not considered before. So Luke chapter 10 in your Bible tonight, and I want us to look at verses, uh, well, the last five verses of the chapter. You'll recognize it, Luke chapter 10, and look if you would at verse 38, Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. The Bible says, now it came to pass as they went, and if you uh, know your Bible chronology, you'll know that this is about the last six months of Jesus' earthly ministry. So know that Jesus lived uh, 33 years on planet Earth as a human being. And the last six months, he's uh, down in a place called Judea. So most of his life, he's in Galilee. Uh, Now he's down in Judea. He is sending out some messengers at the beginning of the chapter. We call it the sending of the 70. And uh, now uh, he is going to a little town called Bethany. Now, if you were to go to Jerusalem today and go to Bethany, uh, Bethany is on this side of the Mount of Olives, right here. If you were to go to the top of the Mount of Olives, which really isn't a mountain, it's a more like a hill, but if you were to go to the top of the Mount of Olives and look that way, there's Jerusalem. So Bethany's on this side. It's on the Dead Sea side, on the Jordan River side. If you were just to go up the hill to the top of the Mount of Olives and look down, there's the Kidron Valley. There's the city of Jerusalem. There's the temple right there in front of you. And so Jesus is coming to Bethany, the Bible says. Now, the, the, the town name is not given in Luke chapter 10, but we know where Mary and Martha and Lazarus, we know where they live. So watch what it says now, Luke 10 and verse 38. So it came to pass as they, this is Jesus and the 12. So 13 men are walking. 13 men are traveling. 13 men are retiring for the night. So what can we know about 13 men walking all day, okay? We can know they're hungry, okay? That's one thing we can know. And so in the Bible, a huge premium was placed upon hospitality. It was huge. In Middle Eastern culture, uh, hospitality is everything. If somebody were to come to your house, it's your responsibility to care for them. It's your responsibility to feed them. It's your responsibility to make sure they have a place to sleep. And you'd give up even some of your best so that they could be cared for uh, that night. So when Jesus arrives at this home along with the 12, we know that uh, the hospitality that's being expressed is a symbol of a person's character, 
a person's responsibility. So watch what happens here in verse 38. So it came to pass as they went that he, he entered into a certain village. And we know the village to be Bethany. And a certain woman, see that in verse 38? A certain woman named Martha. Okay, talk to me. What's her name? Okay, Martha. So, or if I'm from Australia, Martha. Okay, Martha. Uh, we pronounce our R's in the United States, just so you know. But uh, Martha, uh, she received him into her house. Now, a couple significant things about that. First of all, she received him. She received Jesus and the group. What does that mean? That means that it was her prerogative to receive them. That meant it was her house. Matter of fact, the Bible says that. She received them into her house. So what does that tell me? Well, it tells me a couple of things by implication. First of all, it tells me that Martha's parents are no longer living. Why? It's her house. It tells me that Martha uh, probably is not married. And if she has been married, her husband is no longer living. Why? It's her house. She's the homeowner. She's doing the job of receiving. She has the prerogative of authority in that house. And so, so far, so good. Martha is a kind woman. Martha is a hospitable woman. Matter of fact, the word hospitality in the Bible literally means a lover of strangers. In other words, a predisposition to love people whom you've not even met before. By the way, that ought to be Southland Baptist Church. Southland Baptist Church ought to be the place that has a predisposition to love people whom you've never even met before. That would come to the store and you'd love them and you'd embrace them and you'd welcome them and you'd give to them and you'd be kind to them. That is biblical hospitality. That's why the Bible says that a pastor is to be given to hospitality. A pastor ought to have a natural love for people to say, I want to know, get to know people and I want people to come to Southland Baptist Church and I never want to have the attitude at this church that's us for no more. There's always room for somebody else. That was Martha. And so I just want you to understand that sometimes in this passage, Martha gets a bad rap. Sometimes in this passage, we look at Martha and say, yeah, what's her problem? I mean, she's over here in the kitchen working, and Mary, she chose the better part. I mean, what is Martha's problem? I want you to understand that Martha is doing a very, very good thing in verse 38. Matter of fact, in this very passage, Jesus commends uh, hospitality when he t sends out the 70. And he says to the 70, when you arrive in a city and someone tells you to come into their home, be grateful. Say, God's peace is upon this house, and that's a good thing. So far from Jesus uh, looking at Martha in a negative way, oh no, Martha is to be commended for her hospitality. Now look at verse 39. The Bible says, and she, Martha, had a sister called Mary. So we know this, we know that Martha and Mary are sisters, and we also know this, that Martha and Mary had a brother whose name was what? Talk to me. Lazarus. Good, church. So Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Now, where is Lazarus in this passage? He's not mentioned. You say, well, Lazarus has not yet died, and so therefore his story is not yet told. That's true, but Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, okay, Luke uh, wrote the book of Luke after Lazarus had raised from the dead, so would not it stand a reason that the the biggest miracle that Jesus ever committed, that when Luke first mentioned Mary and Martha, he would at least say, oh, by the way, this is Lazarus's sister. This is Lazarus's older sister and Lazarus's other sister, Mary. But the fact is, he doesn't even mention Lazarus. 
No, I believe that's true. I believe because there's, he wants there to be no distraction from what this story is all about. This story is not about Lazarus. This story is not about, this story is not even about Mary. No, this story is about Martha. There was a certain woman, Martha, and God wants to tell us, his, uh, give us a lesson about Martha. Well, watch what it says in verse, uh, in verse 39. She, see, she's the subject. She had a sister called Mary. Watch what Mary's doing. The Bible says, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Ever wonder what that means in the Bible when someone says, well, they sat at his feet. What does that mean? Well, it could literally mean that someone is sitting at the feet. And I think that Mary probably was in that custom, sitting down on the floor as Jesus taught. But that's not, that's not what the, the phrase really means. What it means is that I'm, that I'm learning from, I'm a disciple of. That's what sitting at the feet meant, okay? Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He learned and sat at his feet. To sit at the feet means I'm learning what you're saying. To sit at your feet means I'm drinking in what you're teaching. Uh, I, I believe in you. I trust you. What you say is important to me. And so when the Bible says that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, what that meant was, I want what you're telling me. I want to hear your message. I believe in you. I want you to teach me what I need to know. And so Mary has this predisposition to want to know what Jesus wants to tell her. So here's Martha. She's uh, engaging in hospitality. What does that mean? Oh, maybe she's making the rice. Maybe she's cleaning the table. Maybe she's putting the roast in the oven. Maybe she's working on the hors d'oeuvres. Maybe she's uh, cleaning. Maybe she's getting the bed ready. But she's engaging in hospitality. What's Martha? What's Mary doing? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. So far, so good. Look at verse 40. The Bible says, but Martha, see that, verse 40? But Martha was cumbered. Matter of fact, the, the, the two words together translate one Greek word. She was cumbered about. Cumbered about. Say, Pastor Scully, what does that mean? She was cumbered about. Okay, well, if something is cumbersome today, we use the word cumbersome today, that means it's unwielding. It's unmanageable. It's cumbersome. How do I hold this? How do I juggle this? It's cumbersome. Cumbered about. Well, the word cumbered in the Bible, only found here, by the way, the, the Greek word only found here, is the word perispao. You know what it means? It means, don't miss it. It means to be distracted. It means something else has my attention. I ought to be paying attention, but something else has my attention. I'm distracted. So Martha was cumbered about. Martha was distracted. Now, what was distracting Martha? Mary, she, she zoned in. Mary, she's listening. Mary, the Messiah is here. I want to hear everything he has to say, I want to know what his will is for my life. But, 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 but Martha, but Martha, she's cumbered. She's distracted. What is distracting Martha? Well, the Bible tells us. But Martha was cumbered about. Here it is, ready? Here it is. Martha was cumbered about much serving. What was distracting Martha? What was distracting Martha was her servant. Martha's service to God was distracting her from her walk with God. 
How is that possible? Martha's service to God was distracting her from her walk with God. I want to preach a message tonight with this title. Ready? When does serving God become the problem? When does serving God become the problem? Father, I'm hoping to be able to answer that question from your word tonight. Lord, I'm asking that you would use these moments that we have dedicated to this Sunday evening service to discovering the answer to this question. And Father, I pray that you would bless every single person who made the effort to come to this place tonight. Lord, I'm speaking to some people tonight who are tired. I'm speaking to some tonight that barely made it to this evening service. Some that are burdened by some things that, that life has thrown their way. Very easy for them to allow their mind to wander during a service like this. Lord, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, help each one of us to give careful and intentional attention to your word tonight. Oh God, I pray that you would do a work in my life and do a work in the lives of these my friends, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What, when, does, when does serving God become the problem? Okay, I'm going to give you four thoughts tonight. Here they are, okay? Just quickly, number one. When does serving God become the problem? I think serving God becomes the problem. I already suggested this. Serving God becomes a problem when it distracts me from my walk with God. Serving God becomes a problem when it distracts me from my walk with God. That's the word. Uh, the word distract. That's what it means. Now, you say, Pastor Skelly, uh, are, are distractions a real thing? Sure they are. And some distractions make sense. For instance, the Bible says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Hey, we all understand that sometimes temptations are a distraction. We understand we live in a sin-cursed world. We understand that sometimes people that come to good churches like this get their mind, to get their eyes upon the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And sometimes people that formerly were in church are now out in the world. Hey, we get that. We get that. Sin has a natural allure to it. That's why we warn young people, hey, be careful, little eyes, what you see, and be careful, little ears, what you hear. Your father up above, we preach those messages. So we understand when we're distracted by the world. Hey, what about this? Sometimes we're distracted by trials. Have you ever gone through a situation in your life? Maybe, a, maybe it's a health situation. Some of you are going through right now. Maybe it's a job reversal. Uh, maybe it's some kind of a, 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 a problem at work or uh, something going on. And sometimes if we're not careful, those trials can become a distraction in our life. It's the only thing we think about. I get up in the morning, I'm thinking about my problem. I, I go to bed at night, I'm thinking about my pain. And we understand that. We understand sometimes how a trial can be a distraction or how a fleshly lust or a worldly pleasure could be a distraction. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20 that uh, Paul said, when I leave, I know this, that, that grievous wolves shall enter in, not sparing the flock, which will draw away disciples unto themselves. In other words, there are going to be some slick preachers. 
that will come in and tell you the message that you want to hear to get you on their team. And so we understand sometimes why people are drawn away by maybe another ministry or drawn away by a uh, maybe a liberal philosophy. And we can understand why people might be drawn away by a trial or by a temptation or even by a, a false doctrine. But I'm not suggesting any of that tonight. Those are separate messages, and we ought to hear those messages. But I'm, I'm not talking about that tonight. What I'm talking about tonight is sometimes what draws us away from God is God. Oh, not God himself, but what we claim to be service to God. Hey, we've heard it this way. Sometimes we get so busy in the work of God, we forget about the God of the work. And that's Martha. Martha is distracted by her service to God. See, here are, here are the two people we have. Ready? Over here, we have Mary. And what is Mary doing? Mary is sitting. Now, not, to, not sitting in the sense of reclining and being lazy, but sitting in the sense of I'm not engaged in activity because I'm drinking in the words of Jesus. She's sitting. Over here, we have Martha. What is Martha doing? Martha is serving. So we have sitting and serving. If we're not careful in our naive thinking, we'll assume that, well, some people, that's what they do. They sit, and some people, that's what they do. They serve. But that's not what the Bible uh, tells us is, is, is the way it ought to be. It's not just some sit, some serve. No, we all ought to sit. We all ought to sit. Okay? My question to you is, where, when do you sit? Now, obviously, tonight, you're, you're here at church and you're sitting on a Sunday evening. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when do you personally get along with your God and learn the Word of God? When do you sit at the feet of Jesus? And not, not in a perfunctory way, not in a, I'm going through my four chapters of the day and now I'm done after my 15 minutes. I'm not talking about robotic sitting. I'm talking about sitting at the feet of Jesus saying, Lord, I want your will for my life. Lord, I'm spending this organic time with you. And Lord, I really uh, want to know. Lord, Lord, open down mine eyes, Lord, and show me wondrous things out of thy law. And Lord, I really want to know your book, and I want to know your will, and I want to know your way. And oh God, I want your direction for my life. When is that time that you spend with the Lord? See, that's what I'm talking about. That's sitting time. Mary sat and heard the words of Jesus. See, if I'm sitting, truly sitting, Truly, with a heart's bent toward God, saying, Jesus, I want to know your will. And uh, Lord, not my will, but thine be. If I truly have that spirit, then I'm going to serve. Don't believe that? What did Mary do? What did Mary do with the information Jesus was giving her on that night? Because from that time forth, from the time that Jesus uh, left Galilee and went down to Judea, do you know what the primary message of Jesus was? The primary message of Jesus Christ in the last six months of his life was this. I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And nobody wanted to hear him. Nobody wanted to hear that. His own disciples, it went in one ear, went out the other ear. They didn't even want to hear it. Matter of fact, they would just argue about the kingdom. No, I'm going to be big. I'm going to be greater than you, John, and the kingdom. Oh no, you're not. I'm going to sit on the right hand. Well, I'm going to be on the right, left hand. They argued. Jesus, on several occasions, had to say, "Guys, stop. Stop. Be like a little child. Be humble. 
Come on, guys. But they weren't hearing it. All they wanted was kingdom. All they wanted was king. All they wanted was uh, Jesus to rule and reign. They didn't want to hear about suffering. They didn't want to hear about drinking the cup. They didn't want to hear about any of that. But guess what? Mary sat at the feet. And when you sit at the feet of Jesus, you hear things other people don't hear. When you sit at the feet of Jesus, you see it his way, not your way. So what happened, sometime later, Jesus shows back up in Bethany. Not, not at their home, but at the home of somebody down the street by the name of Simon the leper. And when they show up at the home later on, this is months later, guess who shows up? All the same people. Jesus, the disciples, Martha, Lazarus, Simon the leper, presumably, and Mary. And guess what Mary does? Oh, no, she's not sitting. She's not sitting over here. You know what Mary's doing? She's serving. No one else is serving. Everyone else is sitting. You know what she's doing? She's taking an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard. Read, read about it in Mark 14. Read about it in John chapter 12. She takes a box of ointment. She breaks the box. She pours the ointment on the head and on the feet of Jesus, and she proceeds to wash his feet and uh, anoint his head with oil, all this expense. See, sitting leads to serving. And Jesus said, she did this aforetime for my burial. In other words, guys, while you're arguing about this and that, she's the only one that believes the message I've given, which is I'm going to die, and she's not going to wait until death to honor my body. See, sitting turns into real service. But if all I do is serve, watch me, if all I do is serve, 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 like I'm some kind of a super robotic hero, like many people do in churches, well, you know what? I'm always in the nursery. I'm always ushering. I'm always, you better be careful. Service without sitting will cause burnout every time. So, well, Pastor Skelly, I've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah, you might not be burnt out in the sense that you're not here, but you're burnt out in the sense that you're not here. You're burnt out in the sense that you're not here. Nothing touches you anymore. You've been there, done that. Yeah, I've been in revival. Yeah, I've been in missions conference. Yeah, I've been, oh, here's the pitch. Oh, here's where we want some more money. Here's where we have to do this work. Oh, I'll put my time in. Have you become a Baptist robot? Have you become a cog in the Baptist plant, the Baptist machinery? Where's your heart? See, if we're not careful, all we do is serve, 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 serve. I'm on the treadmill. Serve, 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 serve. I'm on the elliptical. Serve, 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 serve. No, no. Sitting and serving. That's the Christian. Oh, by the way, those of you over here, well, you know what? I'm just always in the Word, and, and I'm always learning. I, I never serve. That's not real sitting. Because real sitting will always produce service. A sitting that doesn't produce, produce, produce service is not real sitting at all. That's just gain, gaining knowledge. And the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians that just to sit and gain knowledge, knowledge puffeth up. Oh, it's only charity that edifies. No, sitting that gives me knowledge to serve and love other people. That's what God wants. But too often what happens is here we are serving God outwardly in our flesh. And ministry in the flesh will drain you. Ministry in the spirit will sustain you. 
Ever wonder why two people can do the same thing for God? One is just weary of it. One's just going to be over it. The other one's like, isn't that great? They're both the same, physically tired. But, man, one person's energized and the other person's depleted. You know why? Right there. One is sitting and then serving. One is not sitting. And this is just a chore to him. When does serving God become the problem? Serving God becomes the problem when it distracts from my walk with God. Listen, the indispensable thing in your life is your alone time with God. Did you hear that? The indispensable thing in your life is your alone time with God. The best thing you can do for your any relationship in your life. If you're married, for your spouse. If you're a child, for your parents. If you're a parent, for your children. If you're a worker, for your workplace. If you're a church member, for your fellow church member, the best thing you can do for any relationship in your life is for you to walk with God yourself. Because your husband needs a spirit-filled wife, and your wife needs a spirit-filled husband, and your parents need a spirit-filled child, and your child needs a spirit-filled parent, and uh, your church needs a spirit-filled pastor, and your pastor needs a spirit-filled church, and you need spirit-filled church members. I'm just telling you, we have to learn to sit and serve. It goes together. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if we just serve God without sitting, it'll distract us from our walk with God. Number two. One, does serving God become a problem? Not only when it distracts from our walk with God, but can, can I just say number two? And this is similar to number one, but let me just say it. Serving God becomes a problem when I fail to see, now don't, don't miss this, when I fail to see the priority distinction among my responsibilities. Now I'll explain what I mean. Serving God becomes a problem when I fail to see the priority distinctions among my responsibilities. Okay, so here's Martha. Man, I, I got this going on, I got that going on, I got this going on, and that's heating up here. Hey, some help in here, please. I've got that, some help. I'm doing ten things and she's doing one thing. Have you ever felt that way? So what, 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 what in the world is she doing? And if we're not careful... We'll, not, we'll no longer see the priority distinctions among our responsibilities as if all Christian responsibilities have equal value. Can I just say this? All, of the, all the responsibilities of your life do not have equal value. Some things are more important than other things. There's a business axiom that goes this way. Things not worth doing well, but things not worth doing are not worth doing well. Understand what I mean by that? In other words, sometimes what we do is we give so much attention to things that don't really make a whole lot of difference, and we give so little attention to things that make a huge difference. Like when I was administrating a Christian school years ago, I would talk to a teacher who had a beautiful bulletin board that she spent 20 hours on, but she couldn't teach her kids how to add 2 plus 2. Now, listen, I'm glad for a wonderful bulletin board, but I, I wish you'd spend a little bit more time on how to teach children. Why? Because some responsibilities are more important than other responsibilities. And serving God becomes a problem when I begin to take all the things that go into coming to church. Well, you know, there's, I've got this and this and this and this, and they're all of equal value. No, they're not. 
No, some things are more valuable than other things, and you need to list the priorities of your Christian life and decide to do those things in that order. Number one, sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. You might, not, you might have had cold sandwiches that day, Martha. Hey, Martha, the house might not have been as clean as you wanted it to be, Martha. Uh, the, the meal might not have been as elaborate. You might have been eating on paper plates. But what's important is, what's important is putting Jesus first. That's what's important. I'll tell you what, serving God becomes a problem in my life when I fail to make distinctions among my, prior, my priorities. And Martha did, and I'll tell you, she paid for it. Number three, when does serving God become a problem? I think, and, and can, let me just stop for a moment and go back for one moment. So, People that fail to make priority distinctions, you know who they are in our local churches? They're perfectionists. Perfectionism is the enemy of the service of God. You know what perfectionism is about? We try to make it about the Lord. Well, you know, so for the Lord, it's got to be first class. No, but you know what perfectionism really is about? It's about me. It's about me. It's all about me. I've got the, it's all about, it's about what I look like. And I'll tell you what, I'm the missions conference director. And so this table has to look just like this. And, you know, don't mess with it. Don't get, the, get these kids out of here. We miss the whole big picture because it's all about me and my stamp and my, it's perfectionism. It's everythingism. I've got to have my hand in it. I've got to do it. And by the way, I don't know who decorates for the missions conference, so I'm sorry about that comment. But uh, there's the point. Serving God becomes a problem when I fail to make a priority distinction among my many responsibilities. Number three, this is a big one, ready? This is a big one. When does serving God become a problem? Serving God becomes a problem when I become overly concerned about what other people are and are not doing. Serving God becomes a problem in my life when I become overly concerned about what other people are and are not doing. When I begin to look at, my, look at, look at other people through the lens of what I do. Okay? Well, look at all the stuff I'm doing. Look at all the stuff I'm preparing. Look at how hard I'm working. Look at how much I'm sacrificing. Look at how many hours of sleep I'm losing. And look at her. And look at her. You know how much more I can get done if she would just get up and help me? I mean, she can sit anytime she wants. I've got 13 mouths to feed. Get in here. But if everybody would just be just like me, the ministry would be so much better. If everyone would just give what I give, if everyone would just serve like I serve, if everyone would make the sacrifices I make, I mean, after all, well, you better be careful. You know, there's a reason why God has given us different gifts. There is a reason why the eye doesn't do what the ear does, and the ear doesn't do what the knee does, and the knee doesn't do what the elbow does. There's a reason. And boy, when I begin to look at every other person in my local church and through the lens of this is the way I do it and the way you ought to do it, I'm going to tell you something. Serving God then becomes a problem. And it became a problem for Martha because she looks at Mary and says, Mary ought to be doing exactly what I'm doing when I'm doing it. She's, and and when, when I get to that place in ministry, number one, ministry has become a job because that's what you do at your job. I ought to get the raise, boss, because I show up at 7.30 every morning and I'm punching. He doesn't show up till 8 o'clock. And I ought to get a job because look at how much I'm producing. 
had to, I ought to, I ought to get the raise because I've been in this, I've been at this job for 15 years and I have tenure now. And I ought to be getting more an hour than he gets because I've been here longer. And I'll tell you what, that kind of mentality comes into the local church. It's competitive. It's competitive. It's all about me. It's all about what I can do. It's all about looking at you through the lens of what I do. I mean, just tell her, Jesus, to come and help me. I'm here and I'm all alone. I'm serving all alone. See what happens when I begin to view the ministry through my lens? It's all about me. It's all about what I do. It's all about I'm the only one. It's all about my job. It's all about competition. Now, here's the insidious thing. Jesus is no longer even in view in that kind of ministry. Where's Jesus? He's not even being thought of. You know what the standard is for ministry? I'm the standard. I'm the standard. And what happens is we begin to adopt that ministry mindset, okay? Be like him. Be like, look at how hard she works. Be like her. Look, look, at how, look at how dedicated I am. Be like me. And, and Jesus, where is he? He's nowhere in the room. But you can know that serving God has become a problem in your church and in your life when you look at everybody else through the lens of what you are and what you can do and how hard you try and all the things that you accomplish. And that, my friends, is mortal. When does serving God become the problem? When it distracts me from my service for God? When does serving God become a problem? When I fail to see the priority distinctions among my responsibilities? One does serving God become a problem when I become overly concerned about what other people are and are not doing? Number four and lastly, when does serving God become the problem? Boy, this is, this is the most subtle one of all. When does serving God become, serving God becomes a problem when I begin to question the concern that Jesus has for me. I'm serving God, but I don't know that I really trust him. I'm serving God, but, you know, I'm giving all this to him, but really, is he, does he really care for me? Watch how she says it. Look at it, verse 40. Martha was covered about much serving, and she came to him and said, Lord, see it, Lord, dost thou, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Lord, don't you, don't you see ministry the way I see it? Lord, Lord, I know you're busy. You've been traveling all day long. I know you've got these guys that you're trying to teach, but Lord, this seems to be pretty obvious that I'm the one that's doing all the work around here. And, you know, I believe that you are the Lord. That's why I came to you as Lord. But Lord, I mean, don't you care? I mean, is this not obvious? That I'm the one that's putting everything out here and Mary is there just kind of having the cushy job of sitting there. I mean, couldn't she learn some other time? Look at what she, she requested in verse 40. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. So, so think, I want you to think about this. Look up here for a moment. Think about this. So, so Martha, she's going to the right person, right? Would you agree she's going to the right person? I mean, Martha could have done what you and I would do, which we would go into the room with all the guests, and we would act nice, but Martha would get, like, the, the, the death stare, okay? You know what the death stare is, right? So she'd come in and go, oh, everyone have a good time? Mary, can I see you in the kitchen for a second? 
right now, please? <laughs> no. <laughs> Hope everyone's doing well. No. Right? She could have done that. She could have said, you know, Mary, I just need help. I need you to help right now. Quit sitting in school. She didn't do any of that. You know what she did? She went to Jesus. Is that a good thing? That's a great thing. She went to Jesus, and then she prayed. She, she asked Jesus' a request. Hey, Lord, could you, could you please ask her to help me? Lord, Lord, if I ask her, she might not want to help me, but Lord, you're the one that has authority. Lord, would you please send her in here? Okay, does that sound reasonable? If, if I said to you tonight, you came to me for counsel about a situation, and I said, okay, here's why, here's why I recommend. Go to Jesus. Go directly to Jesus. Pray about it. Tell him what you want. Would that not be a decent piece of advice? Sure. And that's what she did. She went to Jesus. She, she expressed her concern, and she told him what she wanted. Hey, look, Jesus, just tell her to come help me. But can I say this? The prayer request gave it away. The prayer request gave it you know, away. You know what gives away our selfishness a lot of times? Our prayer requests. Our prayer request gives it away. Because what she really wanted, she really wasn't looking to honor Jesus. She really wasn't even looking to get close to Jesus. She just wanted to get Jesus to get her some help. Jesus, once you get me what I need, then go back and do your thing. And I'll go back and do my thing. Jesus just became, in her life, a transaction. Has Jesus become, in your life, just a transaction? The only time you talk to him is when you need him to do something you can't do. Jesus, I'm talking to you now because you can do something for me that I can't do. So whip that authority out and do this. Whip that power out and do this. And then when you've resourced me the way I want to be resourced, then I'm going to go back to do what I'm going to do for you, for you, ostensibly. And you can go back and do what you do. Teach the empty room. Because I just took out the person that you were teaching. See how that works? So Jesus, so serving God actually becomes a problem when I begin to question the God whom I'm serving. I'm working for the Lord that I have an attitude about. Can I just say that again? I'm working for the Lord whom I have an attitude about. Because she has an attitude about the Lord. Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you, Lord, don't you even care for me? Like, I'm doing all this stuff for you. You show up with 12 guys. I'm feeding. I'm helping. I'm serving. I'm sacrificing. I just need a little help. Could you just tell her to help me? Is that too much to ask? This lady has an attitude about the Lord whom she's working for. That, my friends, is counterproductive. Serving God has become a problem. Could it be that we can come to even a Sunday evening service after having fulfilled our ministry obligations today, and yet we harbor in our heart an inner resentment toward, Lord, you didn't do this for me? 
Lord, you weren't there for me. I'm going to serve you, but God. See, it's interesting because the question she had in Luke 10 is the exact same question that his disciples had a few months before. A few months before, his disciples, they all got in the boat. They're over here in Capernaum. They're going to sail all the way across to the other side to a place called Gadara. In the middle of the night, the Bible says, the storm arises in the Sea of Galilee. Four of those uh, disciples are weathered fishermen. They've been in storms before. They're bailing water quickly as they can. No need to bother Jesus. But the water's coming in faster than they can bail it out. Now these weathered fishermen and the others, they're convinced we're going to die. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. So now, now we need a transaction, don't we? So they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, Master, carest thou not? Don't you even care? Can't you see how busy we are? Can't you see how much work we're expending? Can't you see the sacrifices that we're making? Don't you care about the storm out there? Because sometimes, my friends, listen to me. Sometimes, my friends, the storm is out there. And we question his care. Wait, wait a minute. Sometimes the storm's in here. Sometimes the storm's in here. And in Martha's case, the storm is in here. I'm doing the best I can. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And I'm looking at people that ought to be helping me. And Jesus, if you would just do everything my way, the way I'm scripting it, the way I'm telling you to do it, it would be fine. And serving God became a problem. So this is going to be a great week. We're going to see some great things happen. By faith, I believe that. There are going to be people in this very room that make life-changing decisions. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not our collective effort that's going to make it happen. It's not the multiplicity of service obligations that we're going to fulfill. Or we're going to be busy. There's going to be a lot going on. But can I just say this? At the heart of all of this is to point people's hearts, minds, and wills back to Jesus Christ. And if all we do this week is get on the hamster wheel and spin it faster, if all we do this week is invent more ministry obligations that we need to f- f- fulfill, and we're doing everything, doing everything, doing everything for, and never spending any time with, then we've missed it all. So between now and Wednesday, can I challenge you to do a couple things? Number one, spend some time sitting. Find some, quiet, find some quiet spot between now and Wednesday. Get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, would you speak to my heart? Lord, would you show me your will? God, would you open your word to me in a fresh way? God, I want to see you. I want to hear from you. I want to spend time with you. Then would you allow that sitting to fuel a heart, a week of Man, we're not going to get much sleep this week, and it's going to be busy, and there's going to be a lot going on, but, Lord, I'm energized because in all of it, Lord, I want to see you. 
and I want to serve you. And, oh, God, I'm praying that you'll raise up workers for the kingdom, that other people will see you and sit with you and serve you, and may the cycle continue. But, oh, God, may I never be in a place when my robotic, mechanical service for you is actually the very problem. Let's ask God to do a work at the heart level. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment tonight? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I'm going to ask all of us to just kind of put ourselves at the altar right now. Would you do that for just a moment? Right there in your seat. Would you just get in the altar right now? Would you picture maybe the best you can yourself sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ? Maybe your prayer tonight would be, Lord Jesus, open my eyes to see. Show me some things about myself that maybe I can't even see. Lord, show me some things about your will for my life that that I've never seen before. God, deepen my relationship with you, Jesus. Help my love for, my knowledge about you to fuel some kind of future service for you. But Lord, may I never look at you as a transaction. I never look at you simply as the, a means to a, an alternate end. Lord Jesus, help me to find the balance between sitting and serving. Let's spend a moment just now in prayer. Can we do that? Our pianist will play. Let's just spend a moment right now in prayer.